Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, we want to welcome you. If you're not new, we want to welcome you back. We're really in the, the middle to the latter part of the series in this book of Ephesians. It's been a great series. We've talked a lot about glorious grace. We've talked a lot about what that means for our lives and the way we live. Before we get into all of that this morning, I want to just briefly point out something to you, and it's this bulletin. We're pretty excited about these bulletins. I don't know if you can tell yet, but this is our third week. We figured out a sustainable way to to have bulletins for, for a cheap cost and to inform you. And so there's a few things specifically that we put in here. And so grab it and uh, do this with me. Open it up. I want to show you a few things that we put in here specifically to help you. If you see the middle section right here, there's a place for notes. And so we want you to engage in this time, look at scripture, take down notes, write down questions, write down thoughts, prayers. You can do that right here. Uh, at the bottom, you'll see living what we learn. There's three blanks for that. Every Sunday, typically, we end the sermon with how do we live this out? We don't want to just give you information. We want to give you inclination to actually live this out. And so you can write those things down here. So you can use this bulletin for that. If you look on the left side, you'll see highlights. Uh, those are key dates and events and ways to plug in. If you're new, this is what you should be looking at to see how do I, how do I get involved here, how to meet some new people. If you've been around for a while but you just don't really feel connected and you wonder what goes on at this church besides Sunday mornings, this is the way to see that. Uh, Brad mentioned it, uh, this Connect card, you can tear it off. Uh, fill that out, drop it in the offering, take it to the Connect desk, get our emails, and we'll let you know what's coming up for that as well. So, so don't miss this opportunity to, to take advantage of just this simple piece of paper, bulletin, to, to learn and grow in the body of Christ. Today, we, we do start a three-week, really, mini-series in the book of Ephesians on sex, marriage, and parenting, because that's what's laid out for us in the text. And, and we want to equip you with some resources. Uh, this is, uh, these are some heavy topics, some important topics that affect all of us in this room. And so we have a few things for you. We have two books today. One's called Holiness by Grace by Brian Chappell. Uh, so we've talked a lot about grace. Today we're going to talk a little bit about holiness. And some of us wonder, like, how do those things fit together? Right, how is it all about grace? But there's all these things we have to do. This book, Holiness by Grace, really lays that out well. So it's for sale in the lobby for $10. We also have a book called Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler. It talks about sex. And we're going to talk about sex today. And so we want you to grab a copy of that, get one online to walk through what this looks like as well in your life. And then we have some events coming up as well to help you with this. Next Sunday is the, the closest one, PBCPM. Uh, 7 p.m. next Sunday night. What we're going to do for that PBC PM is do a join in on a dating conference that's online by Matt Chandler, the Mingling of Souls guy, and he's going to talk to us about uh, dating and attraction and character and purity and how all that works together. That morning, next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about marriage in this room, and then that night we'll talk about dating through that conference. My wife and I will be there uh, to do a Q&A with you guys. And so if you're a single college student, all you guys, next Sunday night you want to be at PM. It's going to be really, really helpful. Invite a friend for that. And then looking forward and Two weeks, we're going to talk about parenting, and uh, we have a parenting conference in January that we're going to tell you more about that we want you guys to be a part of. So these three topics, they're going to be sermons, but we want them to be more than that. We want them to be life transformative for you uh, by these other resources and events that we're going to provide for you. So be on the lookout for that. Take advantage of that. This morning, let's look at Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 5. Julian read it earlier, but if you look at that first verse, it starts with, Therefore, be imitators of God. 
That's daunting, isn't it? Be imitators of God. Some of you are thinking like, okay, is there anything else I can do? Because that's not possible, right? It's daunting to think about imitating God. But if you look at the text, Paul frames this up very carefully. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. He says, be like God, not to become his child, but precisely because you are his child, that it's in the context of a relationship, like a child with his, his father. And so just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were getting ready for a date night. We had a babysitter come over, and we're walking around. I'm asking my four-year-old son to do something. And when I asked him to do something, he responded with this. He said, Daddy, I'm not tripping. And so, so I said, what? Come again? Like, what did you say? And he's like, Daddy, I'm not tripping. And I was like, where did you hear that? And he says, from you. And our babysitter's here, and she goes to this church. She's in this room right now. And so I'm like, oh, no. I mean, I, I kids, they say the darndest things. Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't say that. Um, you see, parents, you can say amen to this. Kids, they spend time with you, they're going to pick up some things, amen? Some things you want them to pick up and some things you don't want them to pick up, right? With God, you want to pick up everything. And, and Ephesians chapter 1 says we're adopted into his family, that he's now our father, if you know Jesus Christ. And as you spend time with him as beloved children, children, you begin to live like him. You begin to speak how he speaks, you begin to make decisions according to his will. Your desires, your affections begin to, to change as you spend time with God, as you get to know his word, as you listen to his voice, as you hear how he speaks to the lives of others, you begin to imitate God. So, so don't hear this morning, I'm going to muster up all my strength, all my willpower, and I'm going to be more like God. No, it's, it's as beloved children. This is in the context of a relationship with your heavenly father. We want to spend time with him. We want to learn his voice and learn his character as we imitate him. What does that look like? Verse 2, it says to walk. It's interesting. Paul uses that word walk five times in Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians is split into two parts. And so you have chapters 1 through 3 is your new identity, Chapters 4 through 6 is this new activity that's shaped by this new identity. And he, he talks about in this walk of walking light, walking holiness, walking unity, what he's talking about is a new direction in life. And this is important if you've been in church for a while, that God's not calling you to adjust your behavior. He's not calling you to make a few different choices. He's not calling you to just cuss a little less, Right? No, he's calling for a, a whole new direction in life, that you are walking one way. We talked about this last week. You had an old self. You were walking this way, and he's saying, no, no longer because of Jesus, you walk this way. It's a whole new direction, and what is that direction? Look at the text. It says, walk in love. Walk in love. Listen, we're going to read some things about what we need to reject what we need to avoid today. But don't get confused. The mark of a Christian, the calling card for the Christian is, is love. Brad said it in the welcome. What, is, what does Jesus say? How does he summarize all the commands in the Bible? Love God and love who? Love who? Your neighbor. Love people. 
This is what the Christian is called to do. So while there's some things we do need to reject, and listen, there are some things we're going to get into that, we need to, to love, to walk in love. That's our new direction in life. And we need to talk briefly about love because I think we need some help defining love. All right, some of you see this verse, you see other verses in the Bible that talk about love, and immediately what comes to your mind is this mushy, smiley, huggy emotion. And some of you think, I'm introverted. I don't like hugging people. Like, I don't like to smile. I'm not that friendly. And some of you tune out when you hear stuff like this because you think, well, that's that other person who's extroverted, who's super friendly, who's always going around and high-fiving people and encouraging people. And, and maybe that's just not me. But, but you need to know Paul, he's very helpful, right? He doesn't say just go love people. He tells us how that's done. Look at the text. He says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we should love like Jesus. How did Jesus love? As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so I want you to pay attention to those two words, offering and sacrifice. Offering that he gave, he offered, he initiated. First John, that we know love because God first loved us, that he came to you. He didn't expect you to work your way to him. He came to you. He initiated. It's an offering. Second word is sacrifice that Jesus gave. He gave his very life. And so listen, love doesn't just think about some things. It doesn't just talk about some things. It doesn't just sing about some things. Love gives. We like to say around here, love moves. Right? Love moved Jesus. He didn't just say from heaven, like, I'm thinking about loving you guys. I mean, all the feels coming towards you. No, he, he came. He made no doubt. He came in his person and his work. He lived, died, he resurrected, he was born, he became a man. He came, he sacrificed, he gave. And so love, biblically, it's initiating, it's sacrificial. We saw an example of this recently. A family in our church gave a donation to ASU Prep and gave some supplies that they don't normally get to, to have. This is a charter school, this school that we meet in. And, and a family said, hey, we want to bless this school and bless this, this classroom. And so they gave some supplies. I think we have a picture of that. There we go. And so those kids are really excited about their supplies. We've gotten two notes from this teacher just to say thank you. Most recently, she sent this picture and just said, I want you to know, like, these kids are, are using these supplies. This is a tangible thing that Phoenix Bible Church has, has done that's helped us. Love, love moves. It moves. It's, it causes action. It causes initiating self-sacrifice. But you need to know, it doesn't always mean it makes us happy, right? Like the love of Jesus doesn't always make us happy. It doesn't always make others happy. It doesn't always give people what they want. In fact, if you look at the love of Jesus, sometimes what the love of Jesus does is it takes what we want and it wants to push that to the side so we can have something better. And so the love of Jesus isn't there just to make us happy or to give us what we want. And see, I have three kids, and because of the season, because of the time, they want candy for breakfast, right? That's a real temptation in our house right now. Now, now, would that make them happy? Yeah, right? I think for a little while, right? But, but as their father, I know there's something better, and it's called oatmeal, right? 
Like they need some nutrients. And, and we can put some honey in that. We can make it taste good. It doesn't have to be the worst thing ever, right? But I want something that's good for them, that's going to nourish them, that's going to help provide for them for the whole day, that's going to fuel them. Not something that's just going to help them, make them happy in the moment. So, so love is not just giving us what we want. If you love other people, it's not just giving them what they want. It's giving them what's going to honor God and edify others. That's what Jesus does for us. And so listen, we talked about this last week. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is speak a hard truth in your life, in their life. That you would be that person, if you were here last week, who would go to that person, go to the other person and say, hey, this shirt doesn't fit anymore, right? And they may not like that. Hey, this behavior in your life, that was your old self. This is your new self. That doesn't fit. This sex, this gossip, this lying, that doesn't fit anymore. You need, to, you need to take that shirt off. You need to put on these new clothes that Jesus has given you. And listen, they may not like that, but that's the most loving thing you could ever do for them. The most hateful thing you could do is just give them a hug and just smile and say, it's okay, buddy. You'll get them next time. Here's a trophy. That's not love biblically. Love is initiating self-sacrificial of what is going to honor God and edify them and others. Sometimes it means you address conflict, you apologize, you serve people who are not like you. Listen, Phoenix Bible Church, if we would grab hold of this idea, we would change the world. Like a two-year-old church plant, if we would grab hold of this, all these men and women in this room, if we would grab hold of this kind of love, we would change our city, we would change the world because nobody loves like this. But this is exactly the kind of love that God is calling us to walk in. Listen, you need to hear this, that no matter who gets elected this week, that if we love like this, this will change the world. This is what... God has called us to, it's this initiating sacrificial love that if we love like that, people would take notice of a God who has loved us like that. You see it? So Paul says, walk in love. Verse three, he tells us what to walk away from. Look at verse three. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So that word, that phrase, sexual immorality, is this word pornea in the original language. It covers all sexual sin. Then he moves on to impurity. He talks about covetousness. That's wanting something that's not yours. What he's doing here is he's contrasting love that you should walk in with a lust that you should walk away from that these things must not even be named among you, he says. He says if love identifies the Christian, if it's the mark of the Christian, that these other things, they shouldn't be anywhere near the Christian. The NIV says this, that it, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. That not just the things you do, but the things you, you say. It talks about crude joking and filthy talk in verse 4. That there shouldn't even be a hint. So the, the fantasies, the romance novels, the places you click online, that there shouldn't even be a hint. That you don't go near that. And so practically, you don't, if this is a struggle for you, you don't get online late at night and think, we'll just see what happens, right? You don't flirt at the gym or at work and then just run away when it gets serious. You don't with your boyfriend or your girlfriend think, how far can we go? 
Like how far can we push the boundaries? No, it's, it's not even hint. It's not even named among you. Why? Because this isn't proper for you, verse 3. It's not fitting for God's people to be associated with sexual immorality. It's the shirt that doesn't fit anymore, right? It's not fitting for you anymore. This is not who you are anymore because Christians are called to love, not lust. And you need to know, no matter what our culture says, no matter what you see on billboards or the news or music and pop songs or on the movies, that lust is the opposite of love. They're not the same. That lust says, I'm going to take and I'm going to use. That love says, I'm going to give and I'm going to bless. That, that love says, I'm going to extend myself out, my resources to care for you. And that lust says, I'm going to take from you to use for me. That lust is the opposite of love. And so Paul is painting this picture. He talked about love for a purpose. He's now talking about sexual immorality for a purpose. They're opposites, no matter what our culture says, no matter what you've experienced in your past. These are opposites, and he's pushing us towards love. He says, you act differently, you talk differently, you don't joke about this stuff, there's no filthiness, there's no crude joking. And Paul says, if you don't, and the people who do, that there's no inheritance for them in the kingdom. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. That, that phrase, sons of dis disobedience, is this Hebrew-inspired phrase describing people who willfully disobey and show no signs of repentance. And so a lot of us see verses like this and think, okay, well, I've struggled with sexual immorality. I've struggled with covetousness. I've struggled with crude joking. Does that mean I don't inherit the kingdom of God? Does that mean the wrath is God is, uh, of God is coming for me? That phrase, sons of disobedience, helps us with this. And there's a lot of commentaries that talk about all the phrases in the Bible like this, and we want to see it in the whole context. But that, that phrase, sons of disobedience, is talking about a people who have actively said, hey, we're going to disobey God. And they've shown no signs of repentance. That they're not walking in a direction, a pattern towards God. They're walking in a direction and pattern towards evil. Maybe you know people in, in your life like this. It just seems like, man, they, don't, they just don't seem to care. I mean, they're doing all these things that are destructive in their life, but they just don't seem to care. I mean, they, they go to church sometimes. I mean, they, they talk about Jesus and a God we trust and, and all these things. Like, I think maybe they know Jesus, but I don't see any repentance, any conviction. That's who Paul is describing that he is making the distinction that he's going to flesh out in a little bit, that there is a, a darkness and there is a light. And if you know Jesus, you are now been transferred into the kingdom of light, and so you don't live like that anymore. The wrath of God is coming for that style of behavior. That's not you. And so you can't lose your salvation. But listen, if you look at your life and all you see is that direction of sexual immorality, of covetousness, of sin, and there is nothing that wells up within you to repent, to confess, then you may not know Jesus. And in this moment, you need to trust in him, that he died for your sin, that he rose again, that he ascended on high for you so that you could be rescued out of this darkness and walk in his light, so that you could walk in a direction of love and repentance. 
that that's available to you this morning, that's available to your friend, your family member, you need to proclaim the gospel to them. They may not know Jesus. So you can't lose your salvation. We know that to be true, right? But Paul is making the distinction between light and darkness. There's a change that takes place. There's a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, sex is a gift. Listen, we've talked a lot about what not to do with sex, but you need to know God's not against sex. Read Song of Solomon, right? Read Proverbs 5. Go read it. That's your homework. God is not against sex. We've preached on sex, I think, four or five times since we started this church, two years, four or five times. God loves sex, right? Phoenix Bible Church loves sex. Like, I love sex. Like, take a note, write that down. God's not against sex because, listen to me, this is where our culture gets off, don't they? I mean, they say, and maybe your friends do this who, who don't believe in Jesus. They say, oh, you're just sexually oppressed. I mean, God's this divine killjoy. I mean, he just doesn't want anything for you to experience that's good and, and to make you happy. It couldn't be further from the truth, and I think you'll understand it this way. It would be like if I said to you this morning that I hate drunk driving. And you responded to me, and you're like, Tim, why are you so against cars? And I would say, no, 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 you don't understand. I love cars. They're great. What I hate is the misuse of them. It's destruction involved when there's drunk driving. If I said to you, I hate child abuse, and I hate it because it's destructive, and you said, Tim, what do you got against kids? I mean, you got three of them. What do you got against kids? I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. It's precisely because I love kids so much that I hate the misuse of them. I hate the abuse of them. So what, what Paul is saying, what, what God is pointing out all throughout Scripture, he, he loves sex. What he hates is the distortion of it, the misuse of it that brings so much destruction. It's like a, a fire in a fireplace. Some of you know what this is, who've lived in other parts of the country. <laughs> Some of you, it got down to 65 this week, and you're like, baby, we're lighting the fire. And you grab the blankets and the kids, and you're like sweating. <laughs> but, but a fire in a fireplace is a good thing, amen? Like a fire in a fireplace, it brings some ambiance. It brings some warmth. It's a great thing, but you get that fire out of that fireplace, and it gets on the walls, it gets on the couch, it gets on the bed, it gets on the floors, and what happens? It's the most destructive thing ever, and you know this about a fire. It spreads fast, aggressively, that it will burn down the whole house, and not only will it burn down your whole house, it'll burn down houses around you. You see, for God... The fireplace is the covenant of marriage. That when sex spreads outside of that, it's destructive. That it'll burn down your house, but it'll burn down houses around you. And so listen, God loves sex. He created it. He designed it. I don't know if you know this. It was his idea. And it was one of the greatest ideas he ever came up with. But he, he loves it in the confines of marriage. Because outside of that, it is destructive. And you see it in our culture today. You see it in divorce. You see it in absent fathers. I read a stat that about 40% of American homes have no father. 
You see it in abortion, unwanted pregnancies. You see it in abuse, things that have been done to you that maybe they happened when you were a child and you still experience the weight of that today. You see it in addiction. You see it in all these things. You see the destruction. You see what Paul is describing. You see what the Bible is describing. We see it today. And what was written so long ago, we see the effects of it today. That it can destroy everything. And some of you think, well, Tim, I don't, I don't contribute to abuse. I mean, I, I don't contribute to those extreme things. But listen, even a hint is like a spark. And if it's outside of where it's supposed to be in the confines of marriage, that thought, that fantasy, that click, that those things are like, like sparks and just here and there and just, I'll just keep this. It's not a big deal. It's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. And eventually those sparks well up into a flame and a fire and it spreads and it's destructive and it's not good. It's evil. And so God is pointing us to a greater picture of sex, that it can be good and right and glorious, that we don't even want to go near sexual immorality because sex as God designed it is so good. It's so much better. That when a man and woman don't just give themselves to each other physically, they give themselves to each other spiritually, emotionally, financially. They give all of themselves. They don't say, I just want to take from you to use for me. They say, I want to give all of myself to you to care for you. That when that happens, it's a beautiful, it's a God-glorifying thing that satisfies us. This is how it works best. Why? Because God set it up this way. And listen, you need to know that we don't get to change that. Like even in this moment, maybe some of you are wrestling with, well, Tim, I don't know. I mean, it seems like as I look across our culture, it seems like this doesn't work best anymore. It seems like this is pretty progressive. It's everywhere you go that, that maybe things have changed. Maybe there's a new way that works best. But listen, you don't get to determine that, and neither do I. It's not determined by pop culture. It's not determined by the FCC. It's not determined by the Supreme Court. It was determined by God, and it's laid out clearly in his word. He's saying, this is the best way. You walk in this. You walk away from this. And that God is calling us to that this morning. Walk in love. Walk away from sexual morality and covetousness. And then the next thing we see is how we do all that. Verses 7 through 21. Look at those verses. They lay out this picture of holiness. It starts off verse 7, it says, therefore do not become partners with them. He's talking about these people who live in the darkness, who, who contribute to all of this, this sexual morality, this evil. He says, you don't partner up with them. He goes on to talk about you're in this kingdom of light. And some of us will take verses like verse 7, and churches have done this, and we'll look and say, well, don't become partners. I mean, that means we can't get dirty. I mean, we got to form a holy huddle we got to protect ourselves from the world. We can't get around people who think differently than us. And you need to know that's inconsistent with Scripture and that's inconsistent with Jesus. That in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' nickname is Friend of Sinners. You can go and read about it and see how Jesus engaged sinners. He didn't stay away. He, he engaged. And so what Paul is talking about is not a, not a holy huddle. 
So listen, as a church, my prayer for you is that you would know your, your neighbors, right? That you would know some people in your life that it would get messy, that you would have to come to me or come to somebody in your community group and say, hey, they're talking about this. They're doing these things, and I'm not sure how to, to work with that. Their kids are saying these things around my kids, and, and I'm not sure what to do with that, that we would wrestle with that because that's what Jesus has called us to, to be sent but sanctified. John 20, he sent us as he was sent. So just like he was a friend of sinners, that's what we should walk in as well. And so here's what that means practically, is that we engage, but we don't embrace. We engage with truth, with love, right? So that means practically some relationships in your life with non-believers as you try to share the gospel with them, as you're praying for them in your community group. You're not just talking about your aunts, nephews, cousins, baby, right? You're, you're praying for your neighbor, like, hey, I met this person. I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus. You're praying for that. That should happen, right, in our community groups, in our church, that as you do that and as you walk through that, that there comes a moment where they do say something or they do something that's compromising your beliefs. And in that moment, you have to hop out. You have to leave that place. As they talk about their beliefs, you have to say, no, I disagree. Here's what I see in Scripture. As they talk about where our culture is going and how we should just immerse in it, you say, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. We should be sent but sanctified. Here's what that looks like in my life. And so you engage but you don't embrace, you don't immerse in it, you don't lock arms with those people. And that's what Paul is saying. We're sent but sanctified. And then he goes on to describe a lifestyle of what that looks like. I'm just going to roll right through them. They're all in the text. It says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says, expose unfruitful works. That means you bring them to the light. He says, walk in wisdom. Be filled with the Spirit. Give thanks. Submit to one another. This is what the life of the believer who's holy should look like. There's a lot in there, but if you just look at discern what is pleasing to the Lord, you need to know you can't know what pleases the Lord if you don't know his, his word, if you don't know his will. He's mapped that out for you in Scripture. And so listen, how many days go by where you don't look at this, where you don't look at his words? And how many days go by where your actions reflect that, where you are, you're in the darkness, right? Everywhere you go, you're in the darkness. And so you need to have some times where you open up his word and you're exposed to the light, where you know what God says and what pleases him, not just what pleases you, not just what feels right. That you discern what pleases God. That you expose unfruitful works. So that means those cycles of sin, those patterns of sin in your life, you don't just hide them and think they'll disappear one day. You confess them to God, to others. You have, invite others to, to walk alongside you. You walk in wisdom, so you put guardrails up in your life. You put boundaries in your life. You say, I'm not going to just go to these places and do these things and we'll see what happens. No, I'm going to put some things in my life today that will prevent me from going down that road of sin. He says, be filled with the Spirit. We talked about this last week. The Spirit of God is a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. And that we acknowledge that our flesh is willing. As you look, Our flesh is weak, rather. As you look at all this stuff that we're supposed to do, that you would admit and we would all acknowledge together today, our flesh is weak but the spirit is willing. And so practically what that means is that you would submit your flesh, your will, your affections, your desires, your behavior, your choices to the person of God. 
you would submit all of that actively. You would go to God and say, God, here's all the things in my life. I want to soften my heart. You tell me what to do. You define sex. You define my life. I don't define that. And you go and you're led by the Spirit. You give thanks. You submit to one another. There's so much more we could say about all those, but it's wrapped up in this imagery that I've already mentioned, light and darkness. And Paul uses that really specifically. And if you think about it, maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, but this just makes sense, right? I mean, there's things that are in the dark that are scary, that are confusing, that are deceptive. Just last week, I was walking down my hall in the middle of the night to check on my kids, and I saw this shadow on the wall. And I immediately saw this shadow, and I started devising strategies of how I was going to tackle this invader in my house. I immediately started looking, like, is there anything I could grab if I absolutely needed it as a weapon? And I started thinking through that, and then I got closer, and what happened? I turned on the light, and I realized we left the vacuum out. And so in the dark, it looked like this little ninja (laughs) trying to invade my house. But I flipped on the light, and it was a vacuum. It wasn't a ninja. You see in the dark, you, you see things that, that, that aren't true, that are distorted, that look like something else. You hear things that aren't true. It's deceptive in the dark. It's confusing in the dark. And so Paul is painting this picture of that's, that's who you were. That's where all this sexual immorality and covetousness takes place. It's in the dark because it's deceptive. And listen, right now, some of you are in that dark spot. Maybe even as I talk about these things, you're thinking, well, he's probably talking about somebody else. I mean, I really wish so-and-so could be here to hear this. I mean, maybe I do some of these things, but it's really not that bad. I mean, if you compare it to our whole culture, I mean, I'm kind of a saint. It's not that big a deal. Everybody does this. It would be too hard to change. Any of those thoughts resonate with you? Those are thoughts of the darkness, that those are thoughts of deception, that you need to flip on the light. That's why it says in verse 14, wake up, O sleeper. You ever had that experience? You're walking in sin. You buy the lie that maybe this will satisfy. Maybe this will fulfill every desire. And so you go down that path. You walk down that path. And you do that for a while, and you realize it doesn't bring joy but pain. What promised freedom has now made you trapped. And someone comes alongside you, and they point you to a sermon, or they point you to a scripture, or they point you to a song, or you go for a drive, or you pray. And in that moment, you see that vivid picture of your sin that we talked about last week that nobody likes to see and nobody likes to look at. And in that moment, you see that picture and you think, how did I get here? And you start to think through, like, what happened? What am I doing with my life? Have you had that moment? You need to know that in that moment, God is nudging you. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. That you've been lulled to sleep in deception. That you're seeing things that aren't accurate. That you're hearing things that are distorted. And in that moment, as you're nudged, wake up, O sleeper. As God begins to illuminate that truth to you, there's usually a next nudge. And maybe some of you have experienced that also. That, That next nudge is from the enemy. 
that, that he says, no, just, just go back to sleep. It would be too hard to change. It, it's really not that big a deal. I mean, I know that worship came, song came on and you were just in the moment. That's just emotions. That's not real. That next nudge is, is from the enemy that says, just move past that. Just go to lunch. Just watch football. Just get on Facebook. Just distract. It'll go away. Have you had that? You need to know, in that moment, maybe that moment is right now for some of you, that God wants to move from a nudge to a shake, that in his grace, he's like your parents when they woke you up for school when you were a kid, where they walked in and they didn't just gently, hey, hey, buddy, hey, we got school in a little bit. Whenever you want to decide to wake up, that'd be great. That in that moment, God doesn't do that. In his grace, no, he comes and he shakes you and he rips off the blanket and he flips on the light and he jumps on your bed and he says, wake up, wake up. Don't be deceived. Don't buy the lie. This isn't fulfilling you. This is bringing you pain. This isn't bringing freedom. This is bringing you a trapped state of mind and life. He's saying, I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to give to you. Wake up, oh sleeper. Man, if that's this moment for you, you need to wake up. You need to listen. Don't think I'll just go to lunch. Don't think I'll tune this guy out, right? No, no listen. Take some notes. Grab a friend. Pray with somebody. Join a community group. Say, I'm going to use this moment. I'm going to take advantage of this moment. God is waking you up to walk in a new direction. God is saying, wake up. We're going to be tempted to resist that. But you need to know, listen, verse 14 says that when you wake up, Christ will shine on you. Maybe sometimes we don't wake up. We don't repent. We don't confess. We don't grab a friend. We don't pray. Because we think, if I did, all these bad things would happen. Right? You go there? If I did, I mean, that would be awkward. If I did, I mean, that would be hard. Paul says, when you wake up, Christ will shine on you. He's going to bless you for doing that. He's going to bless you in that confession. He's going to bless you as you confess to a friend, as you grab somebody and say, hey, I need some help. I need some help to walk through this. He's going to forgive you. He's going to strengthen you to walk in his love, to walk in his wisdom, to walk in his life. All of these things that we see in this passage that God's going to do that for you. And so listen, as we close, I just want to give you three things, three questions to ask so that you might wake up, so that you might take one of these steps this morning. The first question is this, and you can write this down in your notes. What opportunities are before you to imitate God by walking in love? What opportunities are before you? It doesn't have to look like everybody else, but you need to see in your life how can you initiate and sacrifice for your spouse, for your kids, for your neighbors, for people in this room. What does that look like for you? How God has wired you. It doesn't have to look the same as everybody else. What does that look like? What opportunities are there that you need to take advantage of this morning? Second question, what is still in the, in the dark that's preventing that from happening? Some of you are thinking about 
sins in your life, habits, patterns, and you're like, I don't know if I can really do that because I got this thing going on and this thing's still there nobody knows about, and if they knew, they would judge me. And Listen, what things in the dark need to be brought to the light to free you to love other people, to walk in love as God has called us to? What things need to be brought to the surface? And the third question, you don't need to do this by yourself. What or who is in place to help you turn on the light? You need that friend who says the shirt doesn't fit. You need that spouse who comes in the room and flips on the light and tears the covers off and says, wake up, right? You need scripture in your life to do that for you daily, not just every once in a while when you're thinking about or you listen to K-Love, You need more than that, not just one hour a week on a Sunday. You need some things in place that turn the light on. Like you need that today. We're experiencing that today. But guess what? On Tuesday, you're going to forget. All right, I'd like to think you remember everything I say. But I know that you're going to forget. And so on Tuesday, on Thursday, you need somebody to flip on the light. You need scripture to flip on the light. Who is that? What is that for you in your life? Listen, as we look at a passage like this, as we talk about some of the topics we've talked about, there's two responses I think most of us have. One of them is to walk away and bury ourselves in shame and guilt. Is that you this morning? Uh, another response is, is the opposite, really. It's, it's, it's those of us who say we want to rain down in judgment on people who sin differently than us. That you read those verses of like bring to the light and you're like, Pastor Tim, I never thought this day would come. <laughs> I mean, because there's some sins in some other people's lives that I've been wanting to bring to the light. I'm going to blast it on Facebook later today. Neither one of those is the correct response. Listen, neither one of those is the correct response to what we've talked about today. The correct response is need. That, That we all, all of us, no matter your background, no matter your sin, that all of us need to respond today with a great need, a desperation for God. For, for his love that we might walk in, for his righteousness, for his holiness, that we need him. We need more of him, right? It's like that song that says, I need thee every hour. But it's really even more than that. It's I need thee every minute. I need thee every second. That that should be our response this morning. Let's respond that way together. Let's decide to respond in our need for a gracious God, a God who is glorious in his grace, who will forgive us, who will renew us, who will change us to be more like him. Let's respond that way as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Father, I just, I pray for these men and women. As so much in our culture tells them, indulge, give in, go back to sleep. That, that even in this moment, you would wake them up to fight, to fight for joy, to fight for holiness, to fight for life, to fight for light, to fight for Jesus, that he is fighting for them, and that they would, they would know that. And they wouldn't resist, and they wouldn't think, I'll just go back to sleep, and I'll just check my phone, and I'll just go to lunch, and I'll just put on the game, and maybe it'll all go away, and I won't have to deal with this with my spouse, with my friends, or with God. God, they, they would resist that because they would see your glorious grace, that you want this for them, that you want joy for them, that you want life for them. You don't want them to go to death. That's your desire. You want that more than they want that. And so help us to respond with our need. We need you.
And I thank you that you're gracious in the midst of that need. God, may you do that in this moment. May you show us that in this moment. Father, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.